Good morning. Excellent. Hey, thank you so much, guys, for being here today. I know there's a lot of things you can do on a Sunday. So glad you chose to spend your morning with us, especially if you're a guest, or maybe this is just your first time back in a while. That's okay. Glad you're here as well. You chose a great day to be here because we're actually in part two of a brand new series called Remind Me. And I don't believe you're here by accident. I think God has some things he wants to say to you. If you'll just uh, open up your heart and mind to him, I hope I can facilitate that for each one of you just to kind of catch us all up. We're going to uh, continue in this series called Remind Me. And really the premise for the entire series is that we all have things in life that kind of get shoved off to the side. You know, it's 2017. We're all busy. We've all got different things that take priorities and we choose some things over other things. And uh, I think God wants to remind us that there's some things that are very important to him and to the call that he has for your life. And so I don't know if you've ever missed a, a kid's event at school. Maybe you worked through it uh, or a sporting event or something like that. Or maybe you used to be an athlete and you would run or play sports or anything like that. And it just hasn't happened in a while. I know the other day I tried to play basketball and it was terrible. I mean, I, it was like I'd never played basketball a day in my life. Reminded me how to dribble is what I was praying to God in that moment. But uh, any number of things for you. You know, I, I took Spanish in college a number of years. I used to actually be able to carry on a conversation in Spanish. Today, I can remember like three words, you know, like hola and uh, buenos dias. That's about it, you know. And so what, what is that? You know, it's forgetting. It's not practicing. It's, it's being busy. I get that. I know God gets that because this is no surprise to God. This has been happening for hundreds, if not thousands of years. If you read your Old Testament, you'll uh, see repeatedly God uses his prophets to say things like, hey, remind the people of such and such. Or, or he'll say, hey, build an altar over here to remind you of everything that I did on your behalf. He says things like, write this down and every seven years read it to the entire tribe and, and teach your kids and don't let them forget and God often uses people to do that. So I thought it would be good for us here this spring as things start to get super busy. I know we got Easter and then Mother's Day and we got proms and we got graduations and then we got summer and we got vacation. And I mean, there's just tons and tons of things getting ready to wind up. And, and I get that. So I thought it would be good for us just to spend a few weeks here talking about some important spiritual truths that God has for our lives, that he wants to remind us and and, and teach us to continue to follow his commands. So last week we talked about uh, why we should serve, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And in many cases, he doesn't want you to stop doing what you're doing. He just wants to teach you how to make a ministry out of it. And so if you're just continuing to come to church and you're not actually contributing anything, then we call that consuming. And that's not God's best for your life. God doesn't want you just consuming a product. He wants you contributing to the mission that he's called each and every one of us uh, to be a part of. Amen, somebody. Amen. And so uh, really the point of that message was, is not that I wanted something from you. New Anthem doesn't need anything from you. We want something for you. We want you to have your best life. And part of that is, is serving. And, and Jesus spoke uh, quite frequently about that. He, in fact, said, you know, I have not come 
to be served, but to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. I think Gandhi said, uh, you know, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. And there's a lot of truth to that. But this morning, you can check that message out online. This morning, I want us to chat a little bit about a Christian element that often gets overlooked or at best neglected, especially from pulpits all around America. Order to set the stage of where we're going, I want to chat a little bit about rites of passage. Okay, here in America, the big deal if you're a girl, the sweet 16, right? Or if uh, you had a, a Hispanic upbringing, maybe the quinceanera, right? I mean, that was the big deal if you were a girl. If you're a boy, I had a hard time coming up with anything in America if you're a boy. I mean, if you're Jewish, you had the bar mitzvah, but what really symbolizes coming of age for boys in America as the leader of my household, I took it upon myself. I said, that's not acceptable, right? We need something for the men of this generation. So I decided that my son, about 11 or 12, I'm going to take him over to my buddy Chris's house. He's got a bull there. And uh, I'm going to say, son, Now's your chance. Today's the day you become a man. Saddle up that bull, son. You're going to ride that sucker. No, I mean, but what, really, what is there for men in America? There's just nothing. I mean, I might do that. Who knows? It's, it's a, little, a little ways away. But uh, even the Amish, right? You've heard about the Amish. They have that uh, room springer or whatever they call it, where they go. That's kind of their rite of passage. They get to wear uh, secular clothes and do whatever they want to do. It's kind of crazy. But rites of passage. Uh, There's just really uh, not anything here. So I had to get on the interwebs and and find some things. There's different cultures that that do some crazy things for rites of passage. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Vanuatu people. They live on a small island in the middle of the South Pacific. Young boys come of age by jumping off a 98-foot tall tower with a vine attached to their ankles, just barely preventing them from hitting the ground. The catch... Unlike a bungee cord, the vine lacks elasticity, and a slight miscalculation in vine length could lead to broken bones or even death. I brought a picture for you in case you don't believe me. This is it, right? That's real life, okay? That's a stick tower and dudes jumping off of it with a vine. I can't even get some of y'all to climb up a ladder, okay? And then you, you talk about jumping. It's, un, it's unbelievable. But rites of passage. Uh, Brazilian Amazon, you might have heard some of these stories. The Satramawi tribe, Mark, they're coming of age. When boys turn 13, there's a bullet ant initiation. The tradition goes that they search the jungle for bullet ants. A leader sedates the ants in a, a herbal solution by submerging the ants in there. Then the ants are weaved into gloves with the stingers pointing Inwards, an hour or so later, the ants wake up angry, is what they say. I would imagine so. Initiation begins. Each boy has to wear the gloves for 10 minutes. It's worth pointing out a bullet ant's sting is 20 times more painful than a wasp sting. And for 10 minutes, these young boys have to wear this around. Why would anybody endure such a thing? Why would you tie a vine to your ankles and jump off a 98-foot tall tower? Why would you wear bullet ant gloves? I mean, what is the point of any of those? Because you want to prove you belong. 
That's the point of a rite of passage. You want to identify yourself with a certain group, and so you'll do anything to line yourself up for them. Well, here's what's interesting about all of this. Almost every world religion has a rite of passage. They say, change and you can join us. Do these things and you can join us. But what separates Christianity from every other world religion is that God says, join us and I'm going to teach you how you can change. And there's vastly different uh, element between the two. God says, if, I love you no matter what you've done, but I want to teach you how you can live your life. And, and part of the way you can identify yourself as a Christian, and one of the ways you can prove that you belong to Christianity is through the God-ordained rite of passage called baptism. That's what I want to spend the bulk of our time talking about this morning. I want to remind us why you should be baptized if you haven't been baptized. Uh, but then I also want to talk to those of you who have been baptized, and I'm going to try and, and clear a few things up. Uh, if you've never been baptized, let me talk to you just really quick. April 23rd, we're having a baptism service here at New Anthem. It's a big deal. Uh, we, we try and make a, a cool event out of it, encourage you to invite your friends, all kinds of different things like that. But if you've never been baptized, the easiest thing for you to do is take that connection card that you should have received on your way in and just check that box that says, I want more information about baptism and I'll be in touch with you. But the other reason that I want to really talk about baptism today is I want to provide some clarity around the topic. I've heard it said that confusion breeds barriers. I do not want this church to have any barriers that makes anything confusing. And I'll just prove my point here because when I was 22, that's when I finally got baptized. And not because I wasn't necessarily a Christian before that, although that certainly is part of my story, but, but more likely is I never heard about baptism preached from the pulpit. I never understood what it meant. I would hear the word or I would see uh, the word in scripture, but I don't really ever remember somebody explaining it to me in depth and why I should be baptized or what the point of baptism was and why it seemed very weird to me when I saw people, you know, doing it. What's the, it was like taking a bath at church. These dudes not, you know, get clean before they came to church. I talked about that uh, another time. You all should clean yourselves. But nonetheless, it was just a very odd thing for me to, to see. So my hope today is to remind some of you why you should be baptized, but then it's also to provide some clarity and what the implications of baptism are so you can communicate these truths to other people as well, especially why it's such a big deal. And in order for us to do that intelligently, we're going to have to jump around the Bible a little bit this morning, but uh, I want you to turn to one specific passage. So if you brought a Bible, I hope you did. I'd encourage you to grab it. You're going to open it up towards the back, a section called the New Testament. You can just look for some guys' names if you're new to the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is kind of how that goes. You want Matthew. You want Matthew chapter 3, which is the big number 3. Uh, while you're getting there, I want to briefly chat about the history of baptism, because here's what I know. Many of us have come into this place with different backgrounds. Some of us might have grown up Catholic. Some of us might have grown up Lutheran or Episcopalian. And we're taught that we had to be baptized as a baby. Like that was the big deal within those religions. Others of you might have been part of a denomination 
that taught baptism was salvific in nature or you had to be baptized in order to be saved. Some denominations teach that. And so I want you to uh, understand what baptism is because then others of you are taught, well, no, 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 it doesn't have to do with salvation. It doesn't have to do with you being born. It it has to do with you confessing that you're a believer and and you uh, uh, get baptized to kind of prove to show that you belong. So some of you might be hearing about for the Baptism for the very first time right now, and you're still, I don't even know what this is, Pastor. Can you kind of get to the point? So, you let, yes, let me uh, get to the point. I'll lay my cards out on the table right now just to set up uh, where we're going. I believe the Bible, Holy Scripture, is God's authority, okay? The church is not God's final authority. The Scripture is, and there's vast difference between those two Ideas. So here's what I'm saying. Some churches teach that infant baptism is essential to Christianity. In fact, some teach, like I said, baptism is salvific in nature, meaning you have to be baptized to be saved. But neither is expressly taught in the Bible. In fact, if you read through the entire Bible, you'll never see a case where a baby is baptized, expressly stated as such. So where did that idea come from? As best as I can tell, it came from a guy named Constantine, who in 312 declared the, the empire of Rome, which he was the emperor of, he declared that to be a Christian nation. And so if you were born into Rome, you were a Roman citizen, but you also had to be christened as a baby. You maybe heard that term. Uh, and, and that proved that you were a Christian because that was the legal church. So you could be Roman and Christian. But since the Roman Holy Church was the, the church of, for everybody in Rome, these, this idea of, of being Christian spread to all the other churches as well. And so it kind of became hijacked as a tradition within these churches. It was never expressly taught that way in the Bible. And And so many people during that time couldn't read, so they couldn't question uh, the church. And that's why when you have the power, you kind of is in a difficult spot. And it's a very dangerous situation for the people to believe that the church is God's ultimate authority. And that's not the case. It's the holy word of God. So this begs the question, what does the Bible actually teach about baptism? I'm glad you asked that. Because that's my next point in my notes. So we're going to chat about that. So let's all use our imaginations together. Can we do that? Are you ready? All right, here we go. Imagine that you are a businessman in about 30 AD. You have a Roman father. You have a Greek mother, which means you grew up getting a very great education. But you were also taught about all the Greek gods. So Zeus, Apollos, Ares, uh, all these people, Aphrodite. But those Greek gods never really made an impact in your life as a businessman. So you're just kind of indifferent to uh, the Greek gods. You're not super spiritual. You just kind of are what you are. They are what they are. You know, I need to make money. I'm a businessman. Well, as a businessman, you hear that things are just blowing up in Palestine, specifically Jerusalem. So you need to get there to sell your product to make some money. And so you pack up the family, you head that way. And in your business uh, dealings and in the marketplace, you're frequently dealing with this group of people called Jews. 
And as you continue to deal with them day in, day out, you start hearing about these teachings of Jews and uh, time goes by. You start believing some of the things that Jews are talking about and specifically around this law of Moses. And so you want to go to synagogue. You you ask the Jews, well, how how do I become Jewish so I can uh, go to church with, with you all, the synagogue? And they say, well, there's some things you have to do. Let's take you to the rabbi, and he'll outline how you, as a Gentile, can become a Jew. So uh, you find out, as a businessman, as a Gentile, as a non-believer, there's five things that you have to do to become Jewish. First one, not so great, okay? Uh, if you have a church background, you're with me. The first thing you have to do, you have to be circumcised. Not, not awesome, okay? So you think, oh, oh, okay. Well, what's the second thing that I have to do, rabbi? The rabbi says, well, you have to ascribe and commit to following the law of Moses. Great, right? In on that law and order, I believe it all. The first one, let me chat with my wife about that. Second one, I'm all in. Committing to law of Moses, no problem. Golden. Number three, you have to eat a covenant meal, a clean meal. Clean eating, very popular. No sugar, no pork. Got it. I'm, in, I'm all in on that. I can do number three. Number four, you have to make a sacrifice in the temple. Deal. Sacrifice all day long. No problem. Number five, you have to be ceremonially washed. The Greek word for ceremonially washed. Baptizo. You have to be baptized, ceremonially washed. That's baptizo, simple word, means a variety of different things. It can be translated wash, dip, dunk, drown. Sometimes a, a ship would sink. Baptizo in battle. The ship would be baptized. Uh, but those are the five things that you have to do. So you decide you're going to go home. You're going to tell the wife, hey, these are the things that we have to do to become Jewish. So you get home. You find your kids doing homework. This is very imaginative, right? We're using our imagination. Kids are actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. At least in my world, that's how that works. So you get home. You, I don't know what kids do in the Middle East. Let's be honest, okay? Maybe there's a rug. Maybe there's a genie. I've seen Aladdin. I don't really know. There's a camel. Who knows what they're doing? But they're there. So you say to the kids, hey, where's mom? Mom says, uh, or they, they say she's out back washing the clothes in the Jordan River. So you head out back to tell the wife what you found out, how we can become a Jew. So you say, honey, I, f- I found out I, what we need to do to become Jewish. She said, oh, great. Well, what do you have to do? Like, what, uh, what all does it entail? And how did the conversation go? You say, well, things will be easier for you than they will be for me, <laughs> nonetheless. Uh, but But there's five things that we have to do. As you're about to discuss this with your wife, you start hearing some yelling upriver. It's a man's voice. He's yelling, repent, repent, repent of your sins. Be baptized. He's used this same Greek word, be baptizo. And you say, well, I I recognize that word as what I just had a conversation about. You say, honey, let me me go check this out. So you head upriver. Are you still with me? And you're going down the river. You see this man. He's, he looks a little odd, but he's standing out in the, in the river. And he's kind of yelling at these people. But there's a whole group of people on the shore. And one by one, they walk into the water with him. And he, he dunks them. And at first, you're a little nervous. You think, is, is he going to drown these people? I mean, what is, what is happening? You've never seen anything like this before. And so you ask somebody next to you. You say, who's, who's this guy? And they say 
what they, the limited Greek vocabulary they can say, they say this is John the dunker, John the washer, John the sinker. We know him as John the Baptist, John the baptizer. Now, the reason we know him as John the Baptist and not John the washer or John the dunker or John the drowner, I mean, all those things are translated the same way. The reason we know him as John the Baptist is because the people who translated the Bible into English, they just used that same word baptizo and they just translated it in English as uh, Baptist or baptizer or baptize. And the reason they did that is because what John was doing was very different. He wasn't washing people. They, they didn't quite understand it all. They just knew there was some sort of religion and religious context going around what John was doing. And so let me kind of contrast this a little bit for you. Take a look at this passage here on the screen. It's Luke eleven thirty seven and 38. It says, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. 38, but the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Now, guess what that Greek word for wash is there? Baptizo. Baptizo. Jesus didn't baptize himself before the meal. The Pharisee's like, Jesus, dude, bro, you're not going to wash your hands before you come in here and start eating my food? What is, what is the deal here? But uh, back to John. He, he's doing what he's doing in the river, but it's different than washing before a meal. Like one by one, people are compelled to go in and be dunked. And whereas before in this Jewish tradition, if you were a Gentile and you needed to be baptized, that ceremonial wash, you did that yourself. You walked into the water on one side, you ceremonially washed yourself, you walked back out on the other side. But here for the very first time, this baptizo, it was done by a different person. Nobody knew what to call it. They just knew it was different. So they used the word that they knew how to use. So brings us to Matthew chapter 3. I want you to pick it up in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to, be, uh, to John to be baptized by him. We're there. We're on the shore. We're seeing this. Jesus walks beside us. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, yet you come to me. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. You wonder what that conversation looked like. We're using our imagination. We're on the shore. We see this. And for the very first time in history, an argument is settled. Rock, paper, scissors right? Best of three. That's how you have to settle the conversation. That's what I'm imagining happened. You don't have to do that if not. not. So nonetheless, verse 16, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well Please, here's what I want you to write down if you're taking notes. Baptism is a public declaration of a new association. That's what baptism is, a public declaration of a new association. See, a couple myths get just blown out of the water, pun intended, when we read this scripture. Some people argue baptism takes away sin. Like I mentioned earlier, it's salvific in nature. But Jesus was perfect. He had no sin. 
So why did he have to get baptized? Because he was confirming John's message. He was saying, you can believe this man. John's message, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. You can believe that message. It had nothing to do with the forgiveness of sin. It had everything to do with Jesus saying, I'm identifying myself with this teaching. I'm identifying myself with John. In fact, there's this really crazy story in the book of Acts where a couple guys get baptized by John before Jesus was baptized by John. These couple guys get baptized and they say, man, we need to take this message public. This is like national news type stuff. We need to get this word out that that there's this kingdom of God that you can be forgiven of your sins. This is a big, big deal. And so they leave and they start traveling around the Middle East. They go all up and down uh, uh, Turkey and Syria, and they end up in a town called Ephesus, which, follow me, is 800 miles from where they were baptized. They walked that entire way proclaiming this great gospel news. But uh, after Jesus is baptized and after he's crucified and after he's risen from the dead and he gave the disciples this command to, to spread out and spread this message, eventually that message lands on a guy named Paul. You've maybe heard of Paul. He goes out to preach the gospel. Now watch this. Watch what happens in Acts 19. And it happened that while Paulus was at Corinth, which is a different town, different guy, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, the same guys I just told you about. Uh, And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard of this. What is the Holy Spirit? And he said to them, into then what were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, let me catch you up. On everything that's happened, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in one who was to come after him, which is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, a public declaration of a new association. We associated ourselves with John. We spread this message, but now we've heard of this Jesus. We're publicly declaring this new association to the king of the universe. So let me just unmuddy these baptism waters here for everybody. Let me remind you why you should be baptized. Because we can't physically identify ourselves with Jesus. Like he's not here physically standing in front of us today. And we can't say I'm with this guy, but we can identify with his teachings. Baptism is an external symbol of an internal change. You're publicly declaring, I'm lining myself up with the teachings of Jesus. I'm trusting him as the Lord and Savior of my life, and I'm going to let everybody know that I've got this new association. The reason why God chose water baptism as this symbol. Think about it. He could have chose anything in the world to identify Uh, himself with you and you with him, yet he chose this water baptism. Why did he choose water baptism? Because it's literally signifying the washing away of our sin, the cleansing of our sin. Like Jesus, you too are passing from death to life. That's what baptism is all about. Your sin is buried, and as you explode up out of the water, you're brought to life 
public declaration of a new association. Furthermore, that's really why we don't baptize infants. They're not able to articulate this new association. Just the other day, I had a good friend of mine on Facebook. She had a baby. She uh, messaged me and said, you know, we don't go to church, but I, I, I need to get my son baptized. Will you, you be willing to baptize him? I got to have a beautiful conversation about how, no, we don't, we don't believe that. And here's why. And I got to outline some of these principles for her, but baptism is reserved for those who are old enough to publicly declare their new association to Jesus. That's what we believe. Now, just to drive this point home, let me share one more verse with you. I told you we're going to kind of jump all around. If you've been here for any length of time, you've heard this verse. It's called the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18. It says, Jesus came, said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a big deal. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, na- baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, as your pastor, I'm commanded by God to baptize people who have committed their hearts and lives to Christ. I can't do my job if you're not being willing to be baptized, is my point in telling you that. But more importantly, if you've accepted Christ, then the next step is for you to be baptized. Over and over in Scripture, anytime you see somebody uh, commit their lives to this new gospel message, the word is immediately they were baptized, them and their household. So, If you haven't been baptized, please do so. Take that next step because you're commanded by God to do so. But this is about you letting people know that I am a Christian. I trust him. I trust God. I trust his message. I believe he did what he said he would do, which is forgive me of my sin by dying on a cross and raising from the dead three days later. Because of that, I'm going public with my face. I'd invite you, if you've never been baptized, to please sign up. April 23rd, we would love to baptize you so you can make this public declaration of a new association. But let me end with this. You can be a Christian and still go to heaven without being baptized. We see that expressly with the thief on a cross. As Jesus was being crucified, two men were being crucified next to him and were told that these were despicable men. You don't just get crucified for for doing nothing, right? I mean, these were very bad guys. And one looks at Jesus and said, I deserve this. You don't. And Jesus looked back and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He said, well, what about about baptism? What about, I've never tithed anything, Jesus, you know, never served in kids ministry. Jesus says, no, today you're with me in paradise. You have to trust in his message. You have to believe in your heart. Jesus says, it doesn't matter all those other things, but I want you to take these next steps. This is about being a faithful servant. So please don't misunderstand me. While this doesn't determine your salvation, as we already have seen in Scripture, I just want you to leave you with a question, which is, if you haven't been baptized, well, well, why not? If it's because you're afraid, then that's silly because God gives you the courage to do things he's commanded you to do. And if you say, well, I'm not good enough, well, I just took that excuse away from you with a thief on the cross. You know, you're certainly no worse than that guy. 
And God says, you need to take this next step. So again, my guess is, if you haven't been baptized, it's probably just not been made clear to you on why you should. And I hope I unmuddied those waters for you today. But as a Christian, a lot of Christians ask me, well, should I get baptized again? You know, I, I, I want to publicly declare this. And my question is always, well, did you not declare yourself to Jesus the first time? If the answer is no, then yes, be baptized again. But if the answer is yes, then no, I don't think you have to be rebaptized because it's a public declaration of a new association. There's certainly times in your life where your association is going to be up and down. That's the journey of the Christian faith. But if it's up and down, you just know that if your trajectory is up and to the right, that's what God's after, to transform you into the image of his son. Your life needs to look different, but it doesn't necessarily require uh, baptism again. Baptism is a public declaration of a new association. I hope you can have conversations with people now around this idea of why you should be baptized. Okay, let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity that we have even just to come and gather in this place. Thank you for the opportunity to even say, I am a follower. I am a believer. I just read a story this week about a pastor in Turkey who was arrested last year. God, I know this isn't the case all around the world where people get the opportunity to freely declare themselves as being a follower of Christ. We just thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the men and women who make that possible for us in this country. As we continue to pray, God, I want to ask you to send your Holy Spirit in a powerful way to convict those who haven't repented of their sins to ask for forgiveness right now to follow this message of Jesus. If that's you this morning, if you're here today, you've never expressly given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. You can just say in your heart, God, I believe that you are are the Savior of my life. I'm sorry I've sinned. Help me follow you. God, I thank you for that new life. I thank you for all the new life represented in this room. I ask that you help each person as they leave today to follow you more faithfully, to give them courage, to give them strength to take whatever next step they need to take. Thank you most of all for that free gift of salvation through your son, Jesus. Nothing we can do to earn it. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.